Well, if you were to read through the book of James, if I were to put it into a nutshell, I would say that it is a book of gospel wisdom, okay? It's a book of godly gospel wisdom. Another way to think about it is this. As you read this book, you're going to know what it really means to really live out your real faith in a real world, okay? Sometimes we get this kind of uh, skyline, uh, up in the air clouds, kind of an ethereal kind of idea of what uh, the Christian life is, okay? It, it's nothing that really affects us here on earth. It's just kind of like a, a, a blind faith. Just You just need to believe and, and hope everything takes care of itself. Well, actually, that's heresy, all right? That happened in the first century that Paul wrote in the book of Colossians about, that First John is about too, is this idea that there is a separation between the material, the physical, and the spiritual, Okay, that that was that was Arianism, and it was it was it was something that was actually uh, disbanded. Listen, God is about the whole body. Okay, He's about the whole soul. He's about the whole person. And so, yeah, James is a great book for us to see how can we live out our real faith in a real world. And if you want the main idea, the thesis of the book of James, you could you could find it in chapter one, verse twenty six and twenty seven. James says this. <clears throat> And please take your Bibles out because we're going to kind of we're going to spend most of our time in chapter three. But really want you to have your Bibles out or, or your uh, your pad, your iPads, your your phones, whatever you have your Bible on. Uh, please uh, look at those things. It's very good. And if you take notes, man, there'll be a lot of notes here today. Uh, but in James one twenty six and twenty seven, here's what James says: If anyone thinks he's religious, again. I say this every week, but I'm going to say it again. It's not that kind of dead orthodoxy religious where some, oh, look at that religious person. He thinks he's so special. No, what he means in this is a true religion. I mean, a, a, a total faith and trust in God. And that faith needs to live itself out, okay, in real life. So he says, if anyone thinks that he is a religious person, someone who truly loves God and loves others... And does not bridle his tongue, does not hold his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. It's a dead faith. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And from these two verses, you have the rest of the book of James just just up. compounding what he was talking about. So basically what he's saying is true faith. If you say you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've put your trust in him and him alone. There's going to be some evidences of that. Okay. It's uh, not going to be evidenced by perfection, but by progress in three areas. Number one, your communication, all right, your communication, you're going to be speaking life and blessing into people instead of pain and cursing. Secondly, you're going to have compassion. You're going to be serving those who need you versus serving those who can help you. You see the difference? If you serve those who need you, that means you're not going to get any reward down here. Okay? You're going to, you're going to give it away with no return, more than likely. But some of us serve people in order to get something back. Okay? That's not, that's not service. That's selfish ambition, which brings us to number three. Uh, which is com- um, conduct. And that's what we're going to talk about today and next week is the issue of conduct. We're going to discuss two questions and next week we're going to discuss two statements. And these statements and questions are found in James chapter 3 and 4. James chapter 3 and 4. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there to James uh, chapter 3. Now we spent uh, verse 1 through 14 talking about our communication. 
all right, about the tongue and, and the danger and the blessing that we have in the tongue. But today, we're going to focus on verse 13 and following. But here's the question number one for us. There's two questions that pertain to our conduct. Question number one, and these questions must be answered for the, for the Christ follower. Number one, what does godly wisdom look like? What does godly wisdom look like? To which you're like, I thought we were going to talk about conduct, not this mind stuff. Well, listen, conduct begins in the mind. And it plays out in our actions. So yeah, in order for us to even talk about conduct, we got to talk about what you're thinking. Okay, we got to talk about what's going on in the mind. How are you making the decisions that you're making? So question number one is this. What does godly wisdom look like? And let's read the verses and find out. We're going to walk through these verse by verse and see the heart of God in these answers. Verse 13, here's what the scripture says. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Okay, let's just stop there. There's his question. I I worded it a little differently. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let's look around. How many people are wise and understanding? Raise your hand. Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. How many of you are wise and understanding? Now, at this point, some of you already have an answer whether or not you are this or that, right? Am I wise and understanding? Some of us, let's just be honest, are like this. I'm pretty wise and understanding, but I'm not going to raise my hand because I believe in false humility. Did that hurt you? Okay, well, it's going to get worse. Okay. Uh, Some of us are like, man, I don't even know what that means, so I'm not going to raise my hand. I may or may not have it, but I'm not going to look like an idiot, so I'm not going to raise my hand. Others of y'all are waiting. Come on, bring it on, because I've got an answer, and and it's me. All right, well, let's, let's find that out. Who is wise and understanding among you? James says, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. What does godly wisdom look like? Sometimes in order to see what it looks like, we've got to see what it does not look like. Let's read on. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not boast and be false to the truth. Think about that for a moment. Being false to the truth. I mean, you're going to be saying things and doing something else. You're a hypocrite. All right? Being false to the truth. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Just looking at these verses, and we're going to cover a lot more today, but if you just look at these, it already is going to tell you that there's two types of wisdom. There are two types of wisdom that play out in our lives. One of them is heavenly, it is spiritual, and it originates from God. One wisdom is heavenly, okay? It's thinking about the future, spiritual, And it is of God. But there is also one right here in this verse uh, 15. It says one is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. Here's what that means. There is one wisdom that leads others to eternal life. There is a wisdom that some of us have that desires to see other people experience eternal life. How do I know that? Because that's the very heart of God. All the wisdom of God, everything that is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, listen to this, this is so amazing. When it pertains to us, when it pertains to humanity, 
The very will, the very desire of God for your life is to know Him for all of eternity. The very heart of God is to save you from your rebellion, from your sin, from your life of doing it your own way, and to come into His boat, stop drowning, but come into His boat so that He can save you and give you eternal life and make you His own. That's the heart of God. And that's the heart of anyone who has a wisdom from Him. Your desire is ultimately that the people next to you know Him. But that's not... That's not the wisdom of the things of the earth. You see, one wisdom leads others to eternal life. There's another wisdom that seeks only the good in this life. Earthly, carnal, unspiritual, and it's demonic. Because that's all Satan wants you to focus on, is the here and now. Live it up now, don't worry about tomorrow. Let me ask you a question as we even begin. Almost doing an invitation at the beginning. Where does your wisdom lie? Where does your wisdom lie? Where, where does it rest? I know that. I mean, that's all up in my head. How, how can I understand such thing? And do I need some sort of a surgical procedure in order to, to, to figure this out? No, you don't. Here's what you need to do. Examine your time. Examine your finances. Examine your, your, your play. Examine your service. Examine your energy. Examine your efforts. What do you invest in? What do you spend your time doing? That is going to give you an answer as to what type of wisdom you rest in. Does what you do, what you spend, uh, how you play, uh, who you communicate with, what you watch, what you do in your private and your, and your public life, do those things add up to being someone who is wise into leading others to eternal life? Or, when you look at all those things, is it really all about you looking good? Is it all about you having... Uh, the best. And I don't mean just the best, like, you know, I'll be a billionaire, but being the best that you can. Isn't that exactly what worldly wisdom says? Some worldly wisdom sounds pretty good. Some would say, don't get into debt. Just spend the money you have making your life the best it can be. Well, that sounds great for worldly wisdom. Don't get into debt, but have the nicest house I can afford. But what is the cost of that? When everything in your life, every energy that you spend, every word that you say, uh, every activity that you're involved in, every dollar you spend, it all points back to you, then that is a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and I'm going to get more into it in a moment, it's demonic. Because it distracts you from the most important thing. And here's what it causes you to do. And this is scary. It causes you to think you're the most important thing. Not. That's exactly what this wisdom does. In the verse, remember it says, but if you have bitter jealousy. You know what bitter jealousy is? Bitter jealousy is this. It's not just the idea of, hey, everyone look at me. Although that's a lot of it. They're saying, look at me and stop looking at yourself. That's saying, I want to get ahead 
and I want everyone else to crumble. That's what bitter jealousy is. And that's where we get to when we start having enemies, right? That's when we get to whenever we have competition. We don't just want them to be second place. We want them to be demolished. That's what earthly wisdom does to us. It causes us to only focus on ourselves, and it wants a jealousy for this. Here, here, here's, here's the crazy earthly wisdom. I am the most important thing in your life, so look to me. How many times do we do that to our spouse? How many times do we do that in our job place? We have people subordinates under us. It's all about pleasing me. How about your kids? Dad, I don't want to be involved in this or whatever. No, 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 no. It'll be good for you. You, know, you go and do it. Really, you're saying it'll be good for me. And on and on and on we go. There is a wisdom that leads others to eternal life. And one seeks only the good in this life. Let's keep reading. Oh, there's so much here. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. This is verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile or error, every evil practice. So where jealousy and selfish ambition, it's about me, it's about wisdom that says, look towards me. Here's what's going to be the result of that. Disorder. It's going to be chaos. And it's going to naturally, because if it's focused on flesh, if it's focused on self, if it's focused on the things of this world, then I need to please myself and everyone else needs to please me as well, which ultimately will lead to sin because I'm thinking about myself more than others and how I can be pleased or how I can have the best life I can have now. So listen, one wisdom is focused on self-exaltation to the neglect of others. Another wisdom focuses on the good of others to the submission of self. Where are you in this? Do you see yourself as a person who gives it away for the good of others, not for the pat on the back? Because then again, that's selfish ambition. Are you someone that's known for doing whatever it takes to build each other up? Or are you known as the person that says, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I don't have the experience, and I don't have the want to help you out? How does that play in the church? Here's how it plays in the church. Okay? And this is not universal, so please don't be unnecessarily offended. But if it offends you, uh, if God is speaking to you, then so be it. All right? How is it that Sunday mornings we can gather 200 people? All right? And out of 200 people, how can we only get five, six, seven people in the nursery? Because the worship service, and some of us are going to feel this way. Some of us are going to walk out here today and say, Pastor, I didn't get anything out of it. To which I would say, worship is not what you can get out of it. It's what we give to God. How is it we can have 200 here and a small group where you really can learn and grow together we have people missing. Well, I, I don't have. I can't do it on Sunday. Man, we got small group on Tuesdays. We got small group Wednesday morning. We, we we have opportunities. Some of us, man, you know, my, my kids they need to be educated. 
my kids, they're the, they're the one. I'm good to go. My kids need to be educated, but they're just, you know, I don't have time to be here at 9 a.m. But what are we saying there? We're saying that I have a desire that's greater than my kids getting closer to eternal life. And I want to plug something. Okay, I think starting next month, they're going to do a series on John the Baptist. And our, them kids are going to get the gospel. You're, you're concerned about your kids knowing Christ? Listen, two things. Number one, talk to them. Ask them questions. But number two, get them here at 9 a.m. Because they're going to walk through the gospel presentation for the month of September, I believe. But start now. Start to have it now. And these kids are going to hear the, the, the clear message of Jesus Christ. And listen, you can't, you can't go 10 years from now and say, oops, I messed up. Now's the time. We have a choice to make now. You can choose a wisdom that comes from above that says it's not going to be comfortable, but it's right. Or you're going to choose a wisdom of the earth that says, really, ultimately, there's a lot of great things going on, but I don't feel like doing it. And you walk away empty. And even worse, we're going to talk about some other things. But listen, one is focused on the self-exaltation to the neglect of others. Another focuses on the good of others to the submission of self. To the submission of self. That is totally against the wisdom of the world. That's totally against the wisdom in your head. One, one type of wisdom by their actions worships self as God. That's what selfish ambition and jealousy is. Focus on me. Another wisdom is by their actions. They submit themselves to the one true God. That's someone who says honestly and humbly, there is one God out there and it's not me. Do you have that type of wisdom? And since it's not me, I need to know him. Proverbs 1.7 says this. Fear the Lord. Okay? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay? Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise it. Think about that for a moment. We don't fear God. That's why we have an earthly wisdom. We don't fear God. That's why we don't even think about Him except maybe on Sunday morning. We don't have a fear of God. That's why we don't mind not doing what He says. We don't have a fear of God. And instead, we fear others. Did you know that every quality that's listed in these verses, every quality has to do with relationship. It all has to do with relationship. Go back to uh, James 3, uh, 16 and 17. Or yeah, right there. Listen to what it says. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, this is the godly wisdom, is first pure. It's undefiled by, by selfish ambition. Okay, it literally says, I want what's best for you. And what's best for us? Knowing Him, knowing Christ. It is pure, then it is peaceable, peace-loving. You know what peace-loving means? It means you love peace. Okay? Too many times we love war. We'll get into that in a moment as well. All right? But this is someone who loves peace, who desires peace within a room, within a community, within a country. Then there's someone who's gentle. That's someone who's compassionate towards people. Someone who is open to reason. That person says this, again... 
there is one true God and I'm not him. So I, I want to listen to you because I can be wrong. Someone who is open to reason versus someone who is jealous and ambitious for self. They're like, I'm the only one who's right in this room. Everyone listen to me. A person who has godly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. A person is impartial, not racial. A person who sees both sides and says, I I see the merits of what you're saying. I see the merits of what you're saying. But here's according to God's word. It doesn't matter if you're my, my, my husband, my wife. My child, my parent, uh, Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. Black, white, it doesn't matter. Rich, poor, listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth without respect of persons, meaning that I respect everyone equally. That's what a person who has wisdom from above does. And he does it with sincerity. So all of these qualities play out in relationship. So let me just wrap up this idea of what godly wisdom looks like. Worldly wisdom leads to a destruction of relationships. Of course it does. Because it uses relationships as a stepping stone for themselves to become a greater idol. But the wisdom of God opens doors to deeper, fuller relationships with each other and with God. So let me ask you a question. Does your wisdom cause you and others around you to have a closer walk with God? Or, look at this, look at your spouse, look at your kids, look at your neighbors. Does your type of wisdom that you pour into your family cause them to want more things on this earth? There is your answer to question number one. Where are you in this? What does godly wisdom look like? Let's look at the fruit. So what's the result of godly wisdom? If you choose Christ, if you choose to humble and submit yourself before Him, look at verse 18. Here's your answer. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Listen, godly wisdom results in a peace that produces righteousness. To put it uh, in a beautiful gospel way, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified, made righteous by faith, now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So a godly wisdom causes you to seek Him. He gives you a righteousness, and now you can have peace with God and with other people, whether they love you or not. That is godly wisdom. That is a simple way to live. That is what James is pleading for brothers and sisters in Christ to live. That's how he's wanting, desiring them to live. A place of peace. So what does godly wisdom look like? It's one who puts others instead of self first. It seeks the best of others. Because guess what? You're not the best. You're not. You're not number one in this world. If everyone focused on you at best, they'd be looking at second place. At best. When there's one higher and greater that they should be looking to. And you're depriving them of that because of your selfish ambition. James is rattling us here. 
Godly wisdom is the kind of wisdom that leads people to Christ no matter the cost. It's worth it. I'm willing to give my time and my talents, my life, my testimony, my works for the glory of God and for the good of others. So let me ask a deep question, not just to you personally, but to everyone in this room. How are we doing with this? Living righteously and making peace. Church, church of the world, please listen. How are we doing with making peace? It seems like on TV, it seems like on social media, it seems like on websites and in the news, it seems like the very homes and communities of people who call themselves Christ followers and on social media are better at making war than making peace. Have you noticed that? I bet there's people in this very room that are warring against people on the other side of the pew. We're good at that, aren't we? We're good at letting one phrase, one word, one action, one inaction cause us to have bitter strife and frustration against one another. So this begs a question. This is question number two. Why do we fight each other so much? We just explained what godly wisdom is. It's saying that God is God and I am not. It's saying I submit myself to him instead of me trying to exalt myself. It's me saying the most important thing I can give my kids is not a great career, is not a great house, not great toys, but to give them a great savior. But why? Why is this not happening? Why are we struggling? Why do we fight each other so much? That brings us to James chapter 4. What causes quarrels? James chapter 4 verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and fights? What causes fights among you? That's a good question. And here he comes with the beginning of the answer. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now I'm going to ask you some questions, so so get awake here. Uh, We're going to do some, some group activity here. Okay, what are the fights? What causes the fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So according to this passage, why do we fight each other so much? Why do we do this? We fight because, guess what? We have conflicting desires to which you're like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, sure. Okay? Okay? One of us, one group of us wants to do one thing. Another group of us wants to do another. That makes sense. When we have our preferences together and we want to do them and they're in disagreement with another group of people, we can't agree. And that's where we're at. Listen, what James is saying, this is much deeper than differing opinions. Listen to what the passage says. Let's, let's look at this together. Answer these questions, okay? Answer them aloud like, like, like we're bold and we're proud here, okay? Your passions are at war within who? You. You're out looking for the enemy. The enemy is right here inside of you. It's deeper than we have different opinions on things. It's much sinister, much deeper than that. Your passions are at war within you. Next question. You don't get what you want, so what do you do about it? 
What do you do? What does it say? That's right. You fight, you quarrel, and you murder. Now, we haven't had too many murders in this room, but you know what Jesus says about that, okay? You have anger in your heart. You call people bad names. You talk about people behind their back. You exalt self by uh, demolishing others. That's murder. And that's what we do when we don't get what we want, right? That's human nature. Boy, are we human. How about this? You do not have because you do not what? You do not have because you do not ask. Now, some of you, though, are frustrated because you ask, right? And you're not getting it. Well, that that brings us to the next question. You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you do what? To do what? To spend it on your own passions. You ask wrongly with the desire of building up your own earthly wisdom. You want to spend it on your own passions. You're asking God, God, creator of all things, the one who always knows what is good and right. I want you to give me this so that I can sin in it. And God, being a good father, says, no, I'm not going to give you that because you do not need it. So let me ask you this question. It's going to get deeper. Why are we making so many mistakes? Why are we making so many mistakes? Here's why. Because we have enemies that we listen to way too often. We have enemies that we listen to way too often. The enemy of self. I'm the problem. And I keep listening to myself way too much. We also have another enemy, and that's the world. And number three, Satan. We'll talk about that in just a second. But here's the other problem with our mistakes. We have an almighty ally. An almighty ally for all of those who are in Christ that we don't listen to enough. Do you hear that? The majority of our time we're listening to our enemies. Self, world, and Satan. And we spend way too little time listening to the greatest ally we could ever have. Put him aside. Listen to our enemy. There's our problem. Look at James 4. 4. You adulterous people. Ooh, that's tough, man. James does not pull punches. I just want to say right now, I love you. Okay? Depth of my heart, I love you. You adulterous people. Okay? (laughs) And that's including me. Okay? Listen to what he says. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The word adultery, that's a big word, but you know what? It's a word that most of us can understand. We can get that, right? Adultery is this in a nutshell. Okay, it's living the family life when you're at home. Okay, being the good spouse, being the good parent. Okay, to... Showing them by your words and by your actions at home that, hey, I love you and y'all are my only one. All right, so adultery is living the family life at home, but living the single life elsewhere. That's bad. That's bad. Adultery is saying, I am committed to one, but in action you're committed to many others. 
That's adultery. Translate that into the spiritual life. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Oh, wow. So uh, what is, here's what God's word says. Do you agree with it? No. I don't agree with it. Here's what I think God should do. Here's what I do instead of what God's word says. That's spiritual adultery. To put it so succinctly, A.W. Tozer says this. We now have a whole new generation of Christians. And by the way, he wrote this whenever uh, my parents were growing up. So this is like my generation, okay? He says, we have a whole new generation of Christians who has come up believing that it is possible to accept Jesus Christ without forsaking the world. We have this crazy idea that we can have both. We can have a, same, a Savior and we can have open sin. That we can have a Lord and we can live in lies and lust without any conflict. But the scripture says we have a choice to make. We can focus on the world or focus on Christ. We cannot have both. And it's very simple. Why? Both of those focuses are in direct opposite of each other. It's impossible for you to agree that 2 plus 2 equals 4 and 2 plus 2 equals 12. It's impossible for you to believe both and call them both truth. God says you're going to love the world and the things of the world or you're going to love me. So adultery spiritually means you say you're a Christian and a Christ follower and you do not follow Christ. You cannot have both. John says it this way. John, he was a disciple, the one who Jesus loved. In 1 John chapter 2, he paints the portrait this way. In John 2, 15, verse, uh, John 2, verse 15 through 17, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's bold. If you love the things of the world, which what does that mean? We'll get to that. You cannot love the Father. You're either going to have one love or the other. You cannot split your loves here. He says, for all that is in the world, this is what the world offers you. The desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life. These three desires are what caused Eve to fall. Think about that. The desire of the flesh, ooh, wow. That, that fruit looks good. It looks, it looks good to eat, which brought the desire of the eyes the desire of the flesh, it can do something for me, and the pride of life, I can be like God. Isn't that what worldly wisdom says? I can take God's throne off, and then I could live in it. That very thing is what the world offers you, and God offers you something completely different. He says, submit to me, let me be Lord of your life, and I will love you and carry you through. Worldly wisdom says, don't trust him. Trust yourself. You can make better decisions than God. So it says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Church, I'm just going to make a bold statement here, and it's one that we have to cling to because it's biblical. We are in a spiritual war for your soul. We are in a spiritual war. And there are no neutral zones. There's no fence to cling to. 
You are either on one side or the other. That's what James is telling us. You are on one side or the other. Too often, we choose the passing pleasures of sin and self-ambition, selfish ambition, over joy in Christ and being a blessing for others. That is spiritual adultery. So the question we got to ask ourselves before we walk out of here, two really, one, how does God respond to that? Think about what has just taken place here. You have a choice to make. You can have worldly wisdom or godly wisdom. Guess what? There's no peace in this room. There's no peace in this world. You know what that means? We too many times are choosing worldly wisdom over God's. Evidence of that is how we treat each other. Scripture just, just explains to us what that looks like, what that means. We love the world. We love building up our own kingdoms, our own houses. We, we care more about our lawn than we do about the soul of our neighbor. And in so doing, God calls us spiritual adulterers. That's where we're at. What's God's response to that? I'm glad you're not God and I'm glad I'm not God. Because in our flesh, when we get offended, we want revenge, don't we? We want blood. God has every right to demand blood from us. Yet, he chooses grace. Look at the next verse. This is going to mess us up. Because we're, we've used these words before today. Well, how does God respond to our adultery? Does he throw us away? No, he doesn't. He does the opposite. Look at verse 5. James 4, verse 5 and 6. He says, Or do you suppose it is with no purpose that the scripture says this? God, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives us more Grace. We have committed adultery against our Lord, against our Savior, our God, our King, who has every right to kick us to the curb. And yet, because of his jealous love for us, he desires to continue to dwell. He desires to pour out more grace. The more we have blown it, the more he desires to pour out grace. Now I used the term jealous before, didn't I, earlier? Speaking of an earthly wisdom, here's the difference between the jealousy of man and the jealousy of God. The jealousy of man in our sin says, focus on me, I'm number one. What's the problem with that? You're not number one. Okay? You're not number one. So you are giving us a false savior. When you say focus on me, you're giving us a false hope, and that is sin. God has a jealousy that goes like this. Uh, If you have your Bible, go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Look at the beautiful difference here. And it's a difference that will cause us to worship if we cling to it, if we cling to the truth of this. Exodus chapter 20, that's the Ten Commandments. And within the Ten Commandments, here's what we have. In verse, starting in verse 3. Exodus 20, verse 3 says this. 
You shall have no other gods before me. Let me back up. The reason he says this with such boldness, God says, I am the very God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. I am the Lord your God. I am God of gods. I am king of kings. I'm also the Lord. I'm Yahweh. I'm, I'm a God who is personal, who knows you by name. And I give you my name. A personal, powerful, almighty God rescued them from slavery and sin. And then he says, now that I've done all this for you, look at verse 3. You shall have no other gods before you. Anything other than him is at best second. And it's, it's, it's thievery. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Here it comes. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the sins and the iniquities of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me because they continually rebel against God and rebel against the goodness of who he is. But... Showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the jealous, the jealous selfish ambition of humanity is this. Focus on me because I'm number one. That is a lie. I am not number one. God's jealousy says this. Look what I have done for you. I have saved you. I have rescued you. Nothing, no one else, you're, you're, Supposed allies, self, the world, and Satan could never save you. I saved you out of a strong and mighty hand, and I will give you eternal life, and I will teach you how to live in this world, and you will never ever be alone. I will be your Lord and your God. I will walk you through the valleys and through the mountains, and one day when you take your last breath, I am going to hold you by your right hand and usher you into my home in heaven, and there you will be with me and with all of those who have gone before you who have trusted in me forever and ever and ever. And so here's what I need you to do. I need you to look towards me because I am the only one who can rescue you. If you look somewhere else, I am going to passionately pursue you to come back to me. That is insanity. That is the reckless love of God. So to take away from that, listen, to focus on Christ leads to his steadfast love. To gaze upon him, knowing that his ever presence is with you forever, will bring peace. To delight in him will reorient your passions. And you will desire the things that he desires and everything he desires is good. But, listen very carefully, but your rejection of the Almighty is to your demise. All your other allies, they cannot help you in your time of ultimate need. Only God can. So, we now see God's beautiful response. What is your response to his yearning for you? What is your response? James says it this way in verse 6. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, those who arrogantly choose worldly wisdom over his. 
He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He's the enemy. He was back there and you didn't even know it, right? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Speaking about your sin. Ha, ha, ha. Everything seems to be going right in my own uh, agenda, in my own wisdom, in my own self-exaltation. He says mourn over that. Because that was the very thing that was drawing you away from his true peace. Okay, so let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Here it comes. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let me just nutshell this. Self-exaltation, that worldly wisdom, self-exaltation will ultimately leave you alone and opposed by the one who matters. But if you exalt God and you exalt one another, you will have a mutual glory with all of those who are in Christ. Which brings me to my response. This is something that folks, according to this passage, we are all in this mess. And if we're all in this mess, we all have a decision to make today. Even though we are Christ followers. Some of you may not be. Some of you, many of you are. First thing you need to know is that that you do have a relationship with God. The second thing you need to know is that you've got to make a decision. You've got to respond to the truth that we just heard here. Because if we're honest, we cannot raise our hands if we're saying who's wise and understanding among you. Because we have focused on ourselves and out of our own kingdoms for way too long. Our response needs to be what John in 1 John 1 9 tells us. Listen, if we confess our sins, and they are great and many, if we confess our sins, if we confess our bitter jealousy, if we confess our selfish ambition, if we confess our love for the world versus our love for God, if we confess our sins of the flesh, if we confess our spiritual adultery, the scripture says that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So the plea today Get off your high horse. Humble yourself before a holy and gracious God. And he will exalt you. Know this. There is only one true God and you're not him. Know this. There is only one true God and he is worthy of your worship. Of our submission and our obedience. There is only one true God And he is the origin of righteousness and peaceful wisdom. There is only one true God. And listen, he's worth your time. He's worth your investment. Worth your life. And his message is worth sharing.